Dr. Tzvi Bedov HaKohen, whose Shloshim is this evening. Um, he quoted uh, two interesting psukim here related to the name. The first one is from Kufmem, Hashem Ozi Shuasi, Sakosel Roshi Biyom Neshek, which is uh, somewhat uh, applicable to Daniel's father, as he mentioned quite frequently during the Shiva. If you ask the over and under on how many camps his father survived, you would be quite surprised, <laughs> and you would still be wrong if you chose the under. So this Pusik is definitely ap- ap- apropos for that. And the other Pusik, is also quite relevant under these circumstances. So we thank Rib Daniel for sponsoring today's lunch, and should be Ili Neshama for his father of Ashalom. So the topic suggested and modified by Rav Kivalevitz Tisha B'Av in the 21st century and beyond. The Salvatrix itself has a, shall we say, revolutionized Tisha B'Av in America in the 20th and has continued into the 21st century. The Salvatrix, as far as I am aware, is the first to actually sit and give sheer while saying kinos on Tisha B'Av. He used to just sit there with everyone up in Maimonides in Brookline and he would discuss the kinos for hours until Mincha. And a lot of what we do today in various circles and all the Tisha B'Av Shiurim are an outgrowth of that. And many of the discussions about the philosophy of Tisha B'Av and discussions on the kinos are outgrowths of the Rav's comments and the like. Um, he also gave a very prominent yard site in 1968, Salvechik always gave a yard site to Ilyanismash's father of Moshe Salvechik on Gimel Shvat. And in 1968, he addressed Tishabov because of the famous questions that were asked at the, after, in the aftermath of 1967. What are we doing with Tishabov now that Yerushalayim is once again in our hands? What's the whole point of Tishabov? So the Rav gave a whole long shear based, devoted to this topic which I'd like to deal with in some form today. Um, the same answers that applied in the 20th century also apply to the 21st century, hence the name of the, hence the title. All right. So in order to start with Tisha B'Av, you have to look at Tainus in general. So Rufsalvechik when discussing the relationship between Tisha B'av and other Tainasim, starts with the Rambam. So the Rambam in Hilchas Tainas, Parakel Aleph. So Yesh Hom Yamim Shakal Yisrael Misanim Bahem. There are days that all Yisrael fast. And because of the Tsaros, the catastrophes and calamities that occurred on those days, Kidega Ogar Halavavos, in order to arouse the hearts to open the pathways to tshuva. And this will be a zikaron, a remembrance for our evil deeds. And the deeds of our fathers, which were like our deeds, to cause them and us these sorrows. So what exactly does this mean with Oder Haravavos with Tawach Darke Hatshuva? That's not exactly a common phrase in the Rambam, especially when you consider 
what the Rambam says at the beginning of Hilchus Tainus, this is one of the darkei atshuva. One of the ways of tshuva. So, what's the difference between mi darkei atshuva and with darkei atshuva? What's going on here with these phrases? So, the Rav explained that when you think about a tainus, at least in the philosophy of the Rambam, tainus represents the response of the community to tsara. And that's what the Rambam says here in Halacha Beis. When a tsara or a catastrophe comes, and they'll cry over it, and they'll they'll know that because of their evil deeds, all the following has come upon them. And this will help cause, remove the catastrophe from them. Then the Rambam continues later on that you have, this is, you know, this is the Rambam. You fast whenever you are struck by disaster. That's what sorrow really is, catastrophe and disaster. The Rambam continues, I didn't put it in here, but the Rambam continues, the same applies to individuals. When individuals also fast, for example, when they have an ill family member or someone is lost in the desert, he also has to fast and beg for mercy and rachamim in his prayers. So we have both individual and communal fasts linked to this concept of tsara. Of course, once you have a word, you now have to define it. What are the parameters of tsara? So the Rambam gives communal and individual examples. For example, um, the Rambam gives examples of a siege or a famine, and then you have the individual examples that he gave, that a family member is ill, you're stuck in the desert. These are all based on objective criteria and not subjective responses of the community. So when dealing with the communal level, it's the obligation of the Besdin to determine, okay, are what we going through an objective tsara or not? Because the Besdin has to say, okay, is this objectively a problem? Or are we simply dealing with the historical reaction of the community to something that's in reality quite minor and almost trivial? We have to deal with objective criteria. That's when dealing with a communal fast. When dealing with an individual, individual also has some objective criteria, but there's more to it. Um, Sarah also does not, what's one we say, minha meitzar karasika. What does meitzar mean? Meitzar means a narrow place. What's narrowness? The feeling of being confined. And being confined is a mental condition. It's an emotional condition, and it's highly subjective. And it can be real and imaginary. Mental anxiety and subjective suffering can be of staggering proportions, even if it's purely unwarranted. But we see from the Rambam that when it comes to the halachas of of an individual tainus, justification is somewhat irrelevant. Suffering is not ameliorated by reason. The classic example is a tainus halom. You have a dream. A dream is not objectively a catastrophe. But if it's enough to bother you, then you fast on even for Shabbos. We see that there's a subjective nature to the individual. 
So that's the idea between this distinction in the Rambam. When it comes to community, it has to be a purely objective standard. In the Hakdama, in the sorry, the Koteret, the overview, the Hochos Tainus, at the beginning, the Rambam says we fast because of Tzara Gedola. Now the community is faced with Tzara Gedola. Gedola is a technical term. It means it's got to be overwhelming and real. It doesn't say that by an individual. As you mentioned, Tainus Chalom is the proof that when you're dealing with an individual, you're dealing with subjective criteria and not necessarily objective criteria. So that's the overview of Tainus. So how do you relate the Abitainios to Tainus Tzibor? So then the Rambam, as we said, goes in the Halacha Beis of Parakeva Egohain, these are the Tainios that we fast, that on Shlishi B'Tishrei Shabo Nera Gdali Ben Achikam, that the, the assassination, it really was on the first of Tishrei, but we fast on the third of Tishrei, because of Gedali ben Achikam, v'nechbaz kacheles Yisrael ha-nish'ara, v'sibay v'hosam golusan, that the real golus of the end of Chorban Bayis Rishon occurred because of the assassination of Gedalia, and everybody panicked and picked up and fled, fearing that the Babylonians would go and wipe them all out, because why are you bumping off the appointed regent. Um, that's the first one. Vasir v'teves shabal samach melech bavol harasha al Yerushalayim v'tchanetzer harasha the siege of Yerushalayim v'yud zayim b'tamuz chamisha dvarim eruba as we all know and tishabav which I didn't quote over here. What's the connection to the Abitanios? So these were ordained by the Nevi'im as the Pesach in I believe it's in the Zechariah points out. Um, we'll see these a bit Pesach a bit later. So how do you link those to Tzara? So what's the Tzara that these are currently related to? Because if Tzara means objective criteria, okay, it happened. How does that impact today? Um, even if you say that the fasts are due to what occurred, how do you handle, what does that mean about Tzara today? The fact that Yerushalayim was put under siege on Asar Bateves 2,500 years ago how is that at Sarah today? So, Chazal don't directly address the issue, but they do so implicitly. The famous mission, Rosh Hashanah, Yerchasim Ra'alef. So the mission says that in the times of the second base of Mikdash and afterwards, so originally, when order to, after they declared Rosh Chodesh, they would have the fire signals going from Yerushalayim all the way out over to Babel, so people would know what day Rosh Chodesh was. This was prior to the days of telegraph and radio and email and the like. And after that was messed up, they used to rely upon messengers. But they didn't send out messengers every month. They only sent out messengers on six months. So al nis on mipnei Pesach, you need Pesach. Al av mipnei Atayinus Tishabav. Al elo mipnei Rosh Hashanah. You have to know when Rosh Hashanah is going to be. Al tishrei beit hakanas hamalados because you have to know when Sukkot is going to be. If not Yom, even Yom Kippur, if they're quick enough, but that will relate to Rosh Hashanah. Me on kislev mipnei Hanukkah al adar mipnei Apurim. So the Gemara asks, "Vulifku nami atamuz v'teves." So what about Tavos and Teves? There are fast days there too. Tom Rav Chana Bar Biznam Rav Shimon Chasida My Dechsev as a pasuk in Zechariah says, "Komar Hashem Tzvakos Tzom Haravi V'Tzom Achamishi V'Tzom Ashvi V'Tzom Asiri Yilves Yisrael Yehuda L'Sasson L'Simcha." So Karolut Tzom. So these are the four tiny oaths that are ordained by the Nevi'im. 
how come the best then only relies, only sends out shluchim for Tisha B'av and not the other three? So the Gemara answers. So Karut Samer Karut You have a contradiction here in the pasuk. First, the pasuk says these are tsamos, but then it says they'll be sasan and simcha. So the Gemara answers is manshi shalom. You a sasan or simcha ain shalom tsam. When you have shalom, then these will be sasan and simcha. When you don't have shalom. You have a fast, and then Rav Papa comes to add on to this. Hachi kamar, Rav Papa hachi kamar. B'zman sheyesh shalom. When you have shalom, you have sasim and simcha. Then you have sasim and simcha. Yesh gzeres hamalchus tzom. If you have gzeres hamalchus persecution, then you fast. Ein gzeres hamalchus ve'ein shalom. If you have neither gzeres hamalchus nor shalom, rotsu misanin, rotsu ein misanin. Then it's voluntary, and each community can decide on their own what to do. So the question is, what's going on here with this Gemara? So the vast majority of Rishon Rabbi Hananel, the Ramban, Rashi has, along these lines as well, explain that this period of of Yesh Shalom, in Shalom, sorry, that Yesh Shalom Yilusasim Simcha. That refers to the period of the base, second Beis HaMikdash. The period of the Beis HaMikdash, according to Ben Hanano, was defined as a period of Shalom, and as such, there were no fasts. We didn't have any of the Tainesim. Um, as an aside, the historical data that we have, including various sources throughout Chazal, Mara, Midrashim, are completely against this opinion of Rabbein Hanano. The implication is clearly that they had some form of tzomos for these during during Bayashani. However, the best and Tishabov. That's a big machokas. The implication is yes. Be that as it may, that is the position of Ben Chanano and the Ramban. So that's that's the period of Bayashani. After Bayashani, post-Khorban, then it depends. If there's no Shalom and no Gzeres HaMalchus, then fasting is optional, which means if that there are periods of actual Tzara, then they would fast. If there were no periods of Tzara, they wouldn't fast. It all depends on the time and place. What does this mean from a philosophical perspective related to Tzara? It means that contra Chananel, Tzara has to be a new event. There has to be an active tzara in order to fast. Simply remembering what happened is not enough to cause a new tainus. So if so, then that begs the question, so why are we fasting these tainasim if there's a new tzara? If your point is there has to be a concrete tzara to fast, then why are we linking it back to these fast days as quoted in the Pasuk? So therefore you have to say that whenever you are faced with a new tzara, you have to remember the source of all the reasons for the tzara, and that goes back to Chobar Beis HaMikdash and all of the accompanying tragedies. So the loss of the Beis HaMikdash, be it Tisha B'Av, Shavas HaBetamos, Asarabateves, all these remembrances of Chobar Bayas are the cause for the current tzaros that are being faced, and therefore you link them back that way. And that's the reason for the tzaros. That's a Hanano. The Rambam has a completely different approach. According to the Rambam, the period of Bayashani was the definition of Rav Papa, ein zeres hamachus ve'ein shalom. There were no, no persecution, 
but no shalom. It's potentially according to the Rambam that the only time that you would have had the yesh shalom would have been the short period of time around Hanukkah during the Hasmonean, post-Hasmonean revolt when they were sitting under complete security, free of the Greeks and before they invited the Romans in. But leaving that short period aside, the period of Bayesheni is defined as in ve'en shalom, and in which case, fasting is voluntary. However, but by the way, just because rotsu misanim, rotsu ein misanim, doesn't mean that fasting just means you're not eating. Even according to the Rambam, if in the case of rotsu misanim, rotsu ein misanim, and you do fast, you're makayim ekiyom avatainis. It's not as if, oh, it's, you're not eating. There's a mitzvah, you're makayim be a mitzvah, takonis chachamim, takonis nevim, you have observed a tainis. For all that means regarding the darim and everything else, you're for fasting. However, during Bayashene, Pishabov was observed. So, to summarize, the Rambam defines the period of Bayashene as Ein Shal, Xerah Ein Shalom, Rabbi Yechanan defines it as Yet Shalom. And therefore, Rabbi Yechanan defines post Korban Bayas as variable, and the Rambam holds that post Korban is therefore Yesh Xerah. And therefore, we're obligated to fast. And as such, yeah. according to the Rambam, the only time where we would say, Yeshalom is Yemos HaMashiach. So therefore, we ask the same question that we asked Rabbi Nochanan. So what's the link of these Tzomos Dafka to today? Why are we still mourning over something that happened over almost 2,000 years ago, and for some cases, more than 2,000 years ago? What's going on? So Salavechik suggested two possible resolutions. First possibility is that conceptually the Rambam agrees with everybody else that tightness is precipitated by modern sorrows, just as we explained to Reina Hanania. However, but even in a time of Ein Zerah Ve'en Shalom, there's no persecution, but there's still no Shalom, fasts are mandatory because there has never been such a time that all of Kla Yisrael has been free from Zerah. It simply doesn't happen. There's always going to be some place somewhere that Achin and Yisrael are faced with calamity. And since with principle, Kol Yisrael Arevim Zebazel, we're all responsible for each other. As such, we always have to fast. There is no possibility of, of Yesh Shalom Bizman Azef. That's one approach. It has to be a universal approach, not a local approach. There is a second possibility as well. This is something of salvage. I'll, I'll get back to that second piece of Gemara Rosh Hashanah in just a minute. Um, it's the Rambam. The Rambam said this is a zikaron. If you look in the beginning of, back in Halacha, I mean Parakei, he has zikaron l'masein aroyim. What does zikaron mean? We normally translate zikaron as memory or remembrance. And this is a theme of Salvechik that's applied in various different pla- various places. If zikaron means remembrance, then you're faced with a problem. Here's a classic example, a classic that we're all familiar with. It's got a nice tune to it. It's part of the uh, Psukim on Rosh Hashanah, the Muslim of Rosh Hashanah. Aven Yakir Li Ephraim Emyelet Shashuim Kimidei Dabribo Zacharez Karenuod. The more I talk about him, the more I remember. If zikaron means remember, then the Pesach should be reversed. When I remember him, I talk about him. How could be you talk about him and therefore you remember him? 
So Rav Soloveitchik suggested Zikaron is not just a mechanical reproduction of events in the past. Zikaron means involvement. Whenever the Pesach says, Vayizkar Hashem, we find it by Ro, by Leah, we find it by, by Rachel, we find it by other people, we find it by Chana. When, when Hashem forgot, Baruch doesn't forget. Vayizkar means HaKadosh Baruch became involved with. And that Hashem became involved with Rachel when she gave birth. That's the idea of Zikaron. Zikaron here is involvement. Involvement means not just remembering, it means connection. And when it comes in terms of our definition of Zikaron, it, it denotes the, how should we say, the capacity to bring past events to life. And not just to life, but to actualize them. Um, as the Rav pointed out, time is the tenacity to resist the onslaught of time. The idea of time healing all wounds is a halachic fallacy because time has to exist in front of you. This is the idea behind Pesach, when there's a mitzvah of Sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Bechold Avodor Chayev Liros Itzatzmo Ki'ilu Hu Yatsami Mitzrayim. As the Rambam, actually the Rambam uses Kaharos, and throws in the word ki'ilu hu, as if you went out of Mitzrayim. Pesach night is a mitzvah to feel that you have left Mitzrayim. To actually have to connect to the historical past and bring it forward as if you're happening, happening to you right then and there. This applies to Tisha B'Av as well. How does it apply to Tisha B'Av? Because Yushalmi says that uh, when any generation that the base of Mikdash is not rebuilt, it's as if you've destroyed it yourself. The halacha mandates, therefore, according to the Yushami, that if we do not have Binyu Mikdash, then that means we're active participants in the destruction. And as such, we have to feel as such that we are still active participants in the destruction, and the destruction happened right now. This is what it means, zikaron. Um, this idea also is the concept behind Kriya. You go to the Kotel for the first time in 30 days, you tear Kriya. Some say the walls of Yushalayim also, leaving that argument aside. What's the point of tearing Kriya? Kriya has to be done, as we say, when it hurts. So yes, by Avelos, you tear Kriya. How do we tear Kriya by the Kotel? Because it's got to hurt. That's why we tear Kriya. If it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. That's the idea of Zikaron, this historical connection to the past. Catch the the, uh, the tearing part, which which it's the, the, it's way, the, the way you explained it before is when you start talking about it, then you'll start or doing something. The problem is the definition. Of kriya has to be done at the time when it hurts. Kriya is a reaction, not an action. I mean, in the Havelos. So if you're tearing Kriya at the Koto, it means it's got to hurt first. And you're tearing Kriya in reaction to that pain. It doesn't hurt, you know, you're not obligated? No, it means you're not doing it right. <laughs> so as such, so what does it mean in terms of the Arbitinesium? These fast days were instituted to stimulate the memory and arouse us to do tshuva because they're coming to link us back to this historical past. In contrast, a tainus instituted to, because of its sorrow, 
has already simulated that call to tshuva. That's why the Rambam in Halacha, in Perak Aleph, says, Dover Zemi Darkea Because you've already been motivated to fast because the tzara exists. The Arbatanesim are the other way around. The actions of remembrance cause us, sorry, the fast helps us connect back to the tzaros, and that is why this is only midarke, only, as it says, toach darke hatshuva. It's an opening to do this. Okay, so then the Rav pivoted over to the Avelos aspect of Yom Ke- of Tishabov. He has a whole long shear that I'm not going to get into on the specific details of the Avelos, but everybody knows this is not just a piece of the Rav. There is, as we know, when it comes to Avelos, individual Avelos has three stages. First of all, Aninos is not technically an issue of Avelos, and there's a famous machokis between the Briskorov and, and his nephew as to whether or not we are actually in a halachic status of Aninos at the Sudam of Sekis on Erev Yom Kippur. The Bevel says, yes, it is an actual status of Aninos. His nephew, the Rov, held that, no, it's only like Aninos, but not technical Aninos. And there are potential nafkaminos that go along with that, but that's not for this current time. When it comes to individual Avelos, you have Shiva, or you have Shoshim, and you'd base Chodesh. When it comes to historical Avelos, such as for Shivas Vitamus and Tishabov and the like, we have the same three stages, but in the opposite order. You start with Mishnech Nesav Ma'atim B'Simcha, which Nusach pushes that back already to Shivas Vitamus. Then as you, that is Yud Beis Chodesh, the status of Yud Beis Chodesh. Then as we get closer to Ashkenazim, it's from Rosh Chodesh Anon and for Sephardim, it's Shvosh Achalbo. That we get into a period similar to Shloshim, and Tishabav itself has a din of Shiva. The question, so when dealing with the individual, so you start, quote, hot and heavy, you go straight into Aninus and Shiva, and then it slowly dies away. You slowly see the light at the end of the tunnel. When it comes to public Avelos, namely Tishabav and the like, the process is in reverse. We start off slow and build our way up to Tishabov. And the question is, why do we follow the reverse order? And the answer is, when you're dealing with a public tainus that's based on this period of historical zikaron, man works in time in one direction. Zikaron is asking man to reverse his definition of time. You're trying to go work walk backwards in time. In order to do that, that can't happen immediately. That requires preparation. In order to properly prepare for Tishabov to understand the meaning of Tishabov, you can't just jump into it. You have to start with preparing yourself psychologically beforehand. That's the idea of beginning already at Shivas Ratamus at Rosh Chodesh and building your way up. There's enough think enough to mean it. We're starting with Shivas Ratamus. Right, the Bein Hamitzarim period started with with Tainus and started with with Saris, and it and it and it escalated, culminating with Tishvah. Right, right. So, you know, to to say that this is the opposite of the other, it is it, no it, to an extent because the Tsaros of Shivas of Batama is pale in comparison to the Tsaros of Tishvah. But a lot of the events, granted, 
in Hachinami, and the response to that is Minix Fardim starts the Avelos at Rosh Chodesh. They don't start at Shavas Batamas. Because when dealing with the Koa, the real. Yeah. Um, I was told that uh, when Ravadi Yosef became Rav Rashi, he cracked a deal with various wedding halls around Tel Aviv that uh, he wanted to crack down on weddings between Shivas Abitamas and Rosh Chodesh and he was forced to accept that as a compromise in order to help keep everyone in line. So Minag the Sephardim is still to have weddings before Rosh Chodesh. When dealing with the sorrow of Chorban Bayis, it requires a much greater ap- approach than just Shiva Sabatamos and hence the phased approach leading to it. Your point is accepted, that you still have to mechalik between the two because even as the Rambam said, they still fa- even the point of the Rambam they still fasted Tisha B'av during Bayashani, which we'll get to in a few minutes. All right. So the idea is, as we said, if you're going, if Tainus, especially if Tisha B'av is the status of Meso Mutolofanov, the equivalent of it, that's Aninus of the beginning of Tisha B'av, so that takes time. And that requires a process. So getting back to today, so when the Gemara says that when you have no gzera but no shalom, that it's voluntary, the Gemara still says that Tisha B'av is still observed. And as Gemara of Papa says, this is over here at the end uh, on still Yud Chasim Beis, Iachi Tisha B'av Nami, so why isn't Tisha B'av also voluntary? So Amar of Papa, shiny Tisha B'av, Tisha B'av is different, because of the multitude of sorrows that occurred. First and second, but Hamikdash were destroyed on Tishabav. Betar, Betar was conquered. and Rishonim was plowed over in the days of Turnus Rufus and in the days of Hadrian. So, the question is, if we're taking the approach that Khurban is that of historical remembrance, then why are we observing Tisha B'av in the period of Bayashani if the Tsaros that are referred to didn't happen yet? You think about it. Second base Hamikdash wasn't yet destroyed. Betar wasn't yet destroyed. Mishlayim was still there. What's the point of Huchbulut Bo Tsaros? All these tragedies occurred when only one of them had actually happened already. What's going on? So Rav Salvechik explained a bit of a chiddush based on a pasuk in Zechariah. When they, Zechariah asks, when they come back to Eretz Yisrael, but before the second base of Mikdash was rebuilt, or right after it was rebuilt, he asks, Should I still cry on Tisha B'av, the fifth month? The Radak does not say translated as shall I cry or shall I mourn Radak translates it as Hayat Palel should I daven what's the tefillah over here because Bayez Shani was a period of apprehension what's the apprehension they knew the first base Amikdash was destroyed on Tisha B'av. and there was an apprehension this could still happen again and if it were going to happen again it would also happen on Tisha B'av. they knew it and felt it already 
And even when we talk about when 40 years before the Chorban that the Sanhedrin started abandoning, the base, uh, evacuating <coughs> the Beis HaMikdash, there was a period, of, there was a complete fear of, and deja vu all over again. As such, Tisha B'Av is also a day of, to an extent, a day of tefillah. Now, nowadays, Tisha B'Av is not viewed as a day of tefillah. Um, Salvechik and others pointed out that if anything, it's at least the morning of Tisha B'Av is the anti-tefillah. When we talk about sasam tefillah si, as the Pesach said, the tefillahs were shut up. HaKadosh Baruch closes off the wall to tefillahs during Tisha B'Av, which is why in Shachos we don't say Tiskabel during Kaddish. It's not a time of tefillah. Ah, so why do we daven? We daven because Chazal were talking tefillahs. So effectively, Shachos on Tisha B'Av morning is the one day of the year that we are literally just going through the motions of davening because of sasam tefillasi. But there's still an aspect of the tefillah and the apprehension, at least in the Bayashani period, for Tisha B'Av. But then the Rav gave a third idea. That when you think about it, during Bayashani, there was still a question. What was the question? Who destroyed the first base of Mikdash? Vuchadnetzar and Bavel. Why was the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash done through such people? I mean, these were the lowest of the low. The Vizaradin was a, uh, as we know from the Putin, Vizaradin was an exception that he did Shufa after realizing how crazy he had gone. But we're talking about the lowest of the lower that are causing the destruction, that are doing the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Why that? What happened to the murder of children, the rape of women, and the like? That we all talk about these questions during keynotes, and these are brought up in Echa. Why did this happen? Does the fact that the Beis Hamikdash was rebuilt answer those questions? No. Echa, as it, even Ezra talks about it in chapter three, when the second Beis Hamikdash was rebuilt, was built. The pasuk in Ezra says that the cries of those in mourning who remembered the glory and splendor of the first outweighed the shouts of joy for those who were witnessing the build for the, the Beis HaMikdash for the first time. Just because you have Simcha doesn't answer the pain of the past. So of course we have to thank HaKadosh Baruch Hu for all the tovos that have happened to us and the Akaras HaTov and the like, but that still doesn't answer the pain. And it still doesn't answer the questions, or as the Rav put it pretty blatantly, can the achievement of the state of Israel rationalize the events of the 1940s? Only f- arrogant fools can believe that the state of Israel was a prize for the massacre of six million Jews. Just because we now have Yerushalayim doesn't answer the question of what did it happen beforehand. And that is the question of Echa. As long as the questions of Echa haven't been answered, then we still have to observe Tisha B'av. One does not outweigh the other. Only when Mashiach comes, then we can get we'll get those answers, and we can dis, we can celebrate Tisha B'av as a holiday. Then the Rav took this discussion of Avelos in a different direction. Um, he has also complete uh, fascinating. This is also an interesting halachic discussion. There is a difference between what is called Avelos Chadasha and Avelos Yishana. New Avelos versus old Avelos. New Avelos is what we think of as Avelos. Somebody dies, it's a brand new Avelos. Avelos Yishana has different parameters. There are two types of Avelos Yishana. One is that somebody hears about Avelos 
after the fact. And depending on when he hears about it, does he have to say one day of Shiva or all of Shiva? The other type of Velas Ishana is what we do for Tishabav. And when the Rav explained that when it comes to our Velas Chadasha, so our Velas Chadasha is, how should we say, it's, oh, oh, back to the back up. When it comes to Avelos Chadasha, sorry, yes, Chadasha, we have Hespid and crying. You hear Hespid and crying. Avelos Yeshona, though, is given Kina. Yeshora Usa Kina, as we say in the Haftorah of, of Tishabav morning in Yirmiyahu. Kina is an emotional reaction. When Zechariah asked Ha'evke, yes, Evke literally means cry, it does not mean mourn. You mourn for Avelos Chadasha. Avelos Yishana is not mourning, it's crying. When it comes to Avelos Chadasha, the kiyum of Avelos is an internal. There is no requirement to express Avelos with emotional reactions. The kiyum is that one should be sad and depressed. And we express that through specific actions, through kriya, through not wearing shoes, through sitting on the ground, but it's an avoda shebalev, it's an internal avoda, which is channeled into concrete actions. Aveos Yeshana is required to cry. It's the psukim in Yirmiyahu is that we say in the Haftorah. Kina is an outpouring of, of emotional anguish. That that's a unique sensitivity, in order that which relates into what we said earlier. It's not easy to get to that. That's why we have to lead up to it. If Avelos Yishana requires an emotional outburst, then you can't just call that up on the flip of a switch. You have to build up to it. Another point is that when it comes to Avelos Chadasha, what do we say? We say Tzidok Hadin Hatsur Tamim Paolo. We're not allowed to ask, why did this happen? Why did Akash Baruch take someone? We are matzik the din, tzadik hu When it comes to Avelos Yeshana, we ask these questions. And the entire Megillus Echa is full of these questions. Alma of Ha'aretz, why did it happen? And the Megillah gives us the answer, we sin to Akash Baruch The idea is we have to do Mitruva in order for Mashiach to come. Um, this idea of asking questions in a completely different share, the Rav gave us a whole discussion, what's the point of the Haftar of Tishabav? Because really, we shouldn't have Tom. Yes, the Gemara says we have Kriyas on Tishabav. So why do we have Kriyas Torah? We have Kriyas Torah because of the Haftar. You can't read the Haftar without having the Kriyas Torah beforehand. So what's the point of the Haftarah? The point of the Haftarah is the matir to say kinos. What does it mean, the matir to say kinos? Because what right do we have to start asking questions of a Kaddish Baruch Whatever happened to our Tzur Tamim Paolo? And the answer is, we have the right to ask the questions because Yirmiyahu asked the questions. And in the Mavhi itself, and Eicha, that's the matir to say kinos. Without the Haftarah, there's no room to ask the, to start with kinos, and that's this idea over here of this emotional outpour, outpouring of kino. Now, there is in Minagashkenaz. I apologize about Minagsfaradim. I'm completely unfamiliar with them. So we have three basic 
groupings, sections of kinos. We start with the kinos of Rabbi Eliezer HaKalir, which relate to the Chorban. Then we have the piyotim of the Chachmei Ashkenaz, that referred to all the uh, Crusades and the Tzoros during the early Middle Ages. In England, they still say kinos for the massacres in York in the 12th century and the like. And then we conclude with what is known academically as the Zionides, the kinos written to remember the glory and splendor of Yerushalayim. Um, the perplexing part of the kinos is the final kino of Elitio, because not only do we sing it, and yes, there are communities that do sing kino Eshtukad Bikirbi, that is a German custom that was not an Eastern European custom. It has become more popular because it breaks up the kinos a little bit and wakes everybody up. That was not a Lithuanian Eastern European custom. But be that as it may, we sing Elitzion and we stand for it. All the other kinos we sit on the floor. What's going on here? What is so special about Elitzion that we haven't already said in the rest of the kinos. When you think about it, I mean, the, t- the tune in of itself is as old as the kina, and what do we use the tune for? We use it for the Chadodi on Shabbos Chazon. We use it during Musaf on Yom Tif, the time of Simchas HaChag, and we ought to go back to the tune of mourning of Elitzion. When we say, B'nei Ve'ezchak Chila, what do we say? We sing it to the tune of Elitzion. Why? What's going on? So the Rav explained that Elim means to mourn. When it's all said and done, at the conclusion of Kinos, and all we want to do is close the book and go home and take a nap, we sing Elitzion because Kinos never ends. When you are connected into Churban Bayis, you continue to mourn for Tzion until the base of Mikdash is rebuilt. When you understand what's really happened and what you're crying for, you know that there's no end to Kinos. Kinos effectively never ends. You have to connect and cry as well. As an aside, we still have a minute or two left on this. The Rav gave that as a similar idea for singing Adon Olam at the end of Davening. As the Rav said, nothing that we do is just for the sake of ritual. Everything has to go relate to a halachic concept. We start tefillah with Adon Alam, we end tefillah with Adon Alam, because when it's all said and done, we've davened, but we Whoa. haven't done enough. Davening never ends. That's why you end with Adon Alam. There are some that are trying to change that custom and start putting in other things in its place. They're missing the whole point of why we do it. So the rationale for this idea of not being able to finish to end is related by the stanza of the Kino. Elitzion v'yareha, why? Kimoi shabetzireha, like a woman in childbirth. You can't tell a woman in labor not to cry in pain. All right, nowadays we have epidurals and modern pharmacology. But without that, you can't tell a woman in labor not to cry out. It can't happen. It's inevitable and uncontrollable. Similarly, if you're mourning for Yerushalayim, you can't stop crying. It's as natural as a woman in childbirth crying out, or the the young newlywed whose husband tragically passes away. You can't ask them to stop. To act to try to get them to stop, as the Rav said, quote, is cruel and insensitive. And this is Avelos Yeshana, because Kinos of Yerushalayim is completely limitless. Um, 
by the way, this also has other consequences. The idea of Averos Yishana having limit, is being limitless. There's a rule that you're not allowed to be Mesa'abo Yosemidai. Can't mourn too much. That only applies to Averos Chadasha. That does not apply to Averos Yishana. The Yushalm, the, um, the Rabbi Yochanan and Tainus has the opinion that you really should have Tisha B'Av on the 10th instead of the 9th because the majority of the burning was done on the 10th and Yushalmi said that the Ramoroyim that fasted both days. Why is this not Baal Tosef? And the answer is, the, Ram, the Ramban explained it's not Baal Tosef, but rather Midas Chasidus. Only that column is Abel Yushalayim Zoha Bivinyana. If you mourn for Yushalayim, you'll be Zoha to see the rebirth. <laughs> Pardon? Right, Robesim Chasa. So, that does not apply to Chorbanah. So the more you cry for Avelos Yishana, the greater the scar mitzvah. That's a unique trait of Avelos Yishana. And that's why we use this particular tune for the Chadodi on Shabbos Chazon, because Chadodi is not just introducing Shabbos, it's a yearning for the Beis HaMikdash. And that's why we use it on Musaf, on Shalosh Regalim, when if somebody who mourns Yerushalayim and is connected into Korban Yerushalayim uses that same tune when expressing the hope for Binyan Yerushalayim. That's the idea. And um, just to close, that um, the world was very... Nowadays it has become popular that Elit Zion is viewed as somewhat of the denouement of, of Kinos. The tune has been sped up and it said together, collectively, instead of responsibly, the Rav said that, no, it's wrong. This kino, if anything, is the climax of the kinos and requires and deserves the respect and the speed that it should be uh, given to it. And the Rav also ended, if you think about it, that when it comes to Avtoros, you always have to end with different nechama. Avelos requires a nechama at the end. That's why by mincha time we say nachem. We don't say nachem at chakras. It's a whole discussion of whether or not we should say Anenu and Shachar said, well, but the Milchama begins at Mincha time. And when we end a Haftorah, we always end a Haftorah with Divri Nechama. The exception, though, is morning of Tisha B'Av, because was it Ayis Halacha Chacham B'Chachma So, that uh, that's not Nechama, anything that's neutral, because it's not yet a period of Nechama, Nechama is only once you hit Mincha time, so you can't end on a sad note. Yeah, at, least you, at least you could do is end on a moderate note. And she wrote son that this should be the last year that Tisha B'av should be viewed as a day of Tzon. And Mikdash will be able to celebrate Tisha B'av the way it was intended to be as a Yom of Sasan V'Simcha. Be viewed as a day of Tzon. And Yitzhak Shalom will be able to celebrate Tisha B'av the way it was intended to be as a Yom of Sasan V'Simcha.